Open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, and I want you to find the first chapter, and I'm going to read the first three verses, and uh, then we're going to spend some time looking at the entire chapter together. But uh, I want to begin with what the Apostle Paul said to a group of Christians in the Corinthian church, and then we'll go from there, one movement to another to another, to the place in which we'll be able to make some decisions for ourselves. This uh, Bible passage, uh, this Bible chapter begins like so many of the chapters that uh, uh, Paul used in his letters. Uh, The first thing he did was send a greeting, and we'll take that up if you'll follow along in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 1. And I ask you, if you will, please, to stand as I read these first three verses to help us to focus our attention on the word that's going to be uh, uh, preached tonight. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. I want to stop there and tell you that Usually, Paul would go on and talk more and more and more about the wonders of God in the lives of his people. He would talk about the blessings of God through Christ Jesus to them so they could find themselves on common ground. He did something like that in the book of 1 Corinthians. He did something like that in the book of Romans. But what we have in the book of 2 Corinthians is a great deal like what he did in the book of Galatians. In that Bible book, he started off, this is Paul, you are the Christians in Galatia, and I have one question for you. Where in the world did you get off thinking that there was another gospel? You just got right to it. And he's going to do almost the same thing here. And as we venture into the remainder of the chapter uh, tonight, uh, I recognize that there'll be a number of unanswered questions from this first chapter that we'll take up through the Bible studies that we'll share together uh, uh, tomorrow through Wednesday. But uh, let me say that uh, we'll be able to get a good idea of where Paul is coming from and the stresses and strains in his life. In fact, somebody has said that the book of 2 Corinthians is probably one of his most personal letters because in the book of 2 Corinthians, we get to see Paul's aggravation, his frustration over people and what they've said about him and what's happened to him as a result of their accusations. We get to take an inside view of his uh, moments of disappointment, his moments of uh, uh, when he's disillusioned, and we see something of the way that he continues to burrow along in the work by trusting Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1 of the book of 2 Corinthians, we find ourselves uh, in the middle of a very tension-filled situation with, between Paul and the church at Corinth. Now, scholars tell us that, uh, you know, you have the book of 1 Corinthians and you have the book of 2 Corinthians. And between those two Bible books, altogether, there must have been five, uh, five correspondences between Paul and the Corinthian church. And and you read the the book of 1 Corinthians, and it starts off in a strange sort of way. After he gets done with all the wonderful greetings, talking about how wonderful God is and how great the Lord Christ is for all of us as believers and talks to us about the power of the gospel and all of that, then he begins to to launch it to some comments that that Chloe's people had made. Chloe's people were the probably the slaves of this person whose name is Chloe who delivered the letter from first from the from the Corinthian church that has come to be first Corinthians the answers of which have come to be first Corinthians and in that in that letter that they sent to Paul they had a number of questions my hunch is that the first question had to do with the lord's supper and spiritual gifts and all of that 
And as Paul was opening the letter, I can see him now, opening the letter and reading it and asking Chloe's, Chloe's people, the slaves who were bringing the uh, letter to Paul. He asked him the question, so how are things really at the Corinthian church? I mean, he, he kind of knew it would be tough because the Corinthian church was in a tough situation. You study Corinth and you study a, um, a, a situation in which, my, they needed a church, but wasn't going to last long without the power of the Lord because that's a tough town. And the people within the church were a little tough as well. So you can understand why Paul, as he was opening the letter and reading through it, asked Chloe's people who were standing by after having given him the letter. Uh, they were the mail service from the church to Paul by way of uh, Chloe, who was a member of the church apparently. And so Paul asked the question, how are the people at, at the Corinthian church? And I can almost hear them say, well, you want to know how it really is there? Let me tell you how it really is. Those people can't agree on letting the grass grow. Uh, and then he, they launch into all kinds of problems that are in the church. And one of the problems we'll address tomorrow uh, that uh, Paul has to deal with in the a book of 2 Corinthians. And so the Apostle Paul begins to write in 1 Corinthians in very frank terms, um, dealing with some of the problems that never showed up in their letter to him. They had some questions that they put in writing, but the questions that nobody put in writing is what uh, he deals with first. And they can be blistering, very difficult questions. And then eventually he gets to the questions that they've asked in their letter and goes on from there. My point is that the Apostle Paul in the Corinthian church, there was a great deal of love, but there was a great deal of tension too. And we're going to see how that unfolds over the course of this Bible book. Speaking of tension, uh, you know, sometimes it surprises you how what you think is going to be a great experience turns out to be such a tension-bearing kind of week. Uh, for instance, Connie and I, she's with me uh, tonight, uh, Monday, this, this last Monday, she and I celebrated our 41st wedding anniversary. We've, 41 years I've been married to my sweet little bride. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And you're looking at me and you say, what, you got married at 12, right? And as I told you before, sure, during recess, we went over to the Justice of the Peace. You can do that in Mississippi. No, I was kidding. Now, 41 years of wedded bliss uh, that we've celebrated. And so on Saturday, the Saturday before Monday, I spoke at an associational conference with some other folks. And I told Connie, now I'm going to go to uh, get you something really nice for the 41st wedding anniversary and uh, it'd be a special place and a special gift. So the first mistake was I called her from Lowe's. That, that was not the... <laughs> it didn't get off to a good start uh, from there. And then on Monday, we were, you know, snuggling on the couch. And, and so uh, she asked me, to, was going to watch TV. And she, she asked the question. She said, what's on TV? And I said, looks like dust to me. Well, that didn't work. It was a... <laughs> Sort of went downhill from there. On Tuesday, she had a wreck. A guy hit her on the side of her car and then decided he didn't want to hang around to explain his, uh, his uh, decision uh, to plow into her. And so she had a hit and run. And then on Wednesday, was it? She, she was scheduled for um, oral surgery, for oral surgery. And so uh, a very difficult day. But as she was, she was coming out of the... She was coming out of the coma. I imagined, I imagined, I was sitting there with her. I imagined what she would say if I were to ask her as she was coming out of that deep sleep after having gone through the oral surgery. I could imagine her if I were to say, Honey, how did you do with the oral surgery? 
What do you think? I can imagine her saying, it bears a striking resemblance to our anniversary celebration this year. (laughs) Now, it's gotten better. It's gotten better. But there's a little tension. Now, I bring that to your attention in a comical way because I want you to know that we're going to get into some Bible passages that uh, can cause a little tension for us. But not at first. The Apostle Paul is very wise. You can tell the Holy Spirit is pushing the pen by the way that he starts off by talking about comfort. The first movement in this chapter that draws the people to him has to do with comfort. Notice what he says beginning in verse 3. By the way, when I told you the first three verses, I meant the first two uh, verses uh, to, to get off to a good start. And now we go to verse 3 where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And notice what he says in verse 4, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's obvious that the Apostle Paul wants to link himself with these uh, Corinthian Christians by way of bringing up the comfort of Christ. Now, he brings that up not just to sort of uh, uh, salve the, the pain of maybe a past correspondence that he had with them in which he wrote a painful letter or he had a quarrel with them over some direction that he wanted them to take. But it, was, it was more than that. He wanted to bring them up to date on what was happening in his life. And what was happening in his life was that he was experiencing a number of terrible afflictions. And these afflictions had come his way because of his relationship with Jesus. We'll get to that in just a moment. But for now, he introduces this uh, awareness to the people by talking about the difficulties he's endured and the accompanying comfort that came to him. Now, this comfort is not just the feeling that it's going to be all right. This comfort was way down deep in his soul where he knew that the Lord Christ was at work. And even though the afflictions because of Christ were, were manifold, he also had the joy and the awareness that the comfort that came from Christ would be able to help him to uh, endure and help them to endure. So that's why I think in verse 4 you have over and over and over the word comfort. He wants to bind them together with him in the awareness that we serve a God who is full of mercy, a God who gives us comfort in our times of affliction. You could take any number of these Bible passages and turn them into verses to memorize. I particularly like verse 5 where it says, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is, is abundant through Christ. The afflictions because of Christ are difficult, but the comfort that comes from Christ makes those afflictions bearable. Now, I'm looking in the faces of people, many of whom who know many of whom who know exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about, this kind of comfort that comes to us in our affliction. And I won't deal with verse by verse tonight because we want to move through these movements, and you can go back and look at the particulars later. But for now, let me suggest that the Apostle Paul brings up something that's unique about this comfort that we experience. It's the kind of comfort that makes us do more than just feel better about the pain we endure. It's the kind of comfort that compels us to go to people who are hurting and bring them to the place where they can experience that kind of comfort. We've done that when it comes to medicine. We've experienced uh, health to return when we got a certain uh, medication and we see somebody who's hurting. What's our instinct as believers? To go to that person and say, look, I found this medicine that really helps. Maybe it'll help you. Why do we do that? Because the comfort that comes from the medication 
is so helpful to us. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. We want to share it with others. By the same token, the Apostle Paul tells these people, the kind of comfort that we receive in Christ is the kind of comfort that helps us to go out into a world and share with the world that we have comfort in Christ that comes to us in the midst of our afflictions. It's all a part, my friends, it's all a part of being a people who are sent From the very beginning, God had in mind that he would send his people. When he called Abram in in the book of Genesis to go from where he was, he sent him to a new place. And from there, one generation after the next, God kept on sending his people. And the ultimate, the ultimate portrayal of sending had to do when God came himself and he came and we called him Jesus and he lived and died and rose again so that we would never have to die. That kind of incarnation is so vivid and so real to us and it's portrayed so well in the words of Jesus to his disciples even as the father has sent me so send I you and the apostles were sent out one at a time to go share the gospel to bear witness of Christ wherever they went and this business of sending is incumbent upon every one of us and what greater message can we send to a lost and dying world than the message of God's comfort that comes to us when we invite him into our lives when we surrender to him when we We give our lives to him. And the Apostle Paul is talking to believers who have experienced that kind of comfort and encouraging them to keep in mind that the nudging that they sense in their hearts to share the comfort of Christ with others is a part of the work of being sent into a world so that we can see people come to know Christ. Now, Paul was very specific about the affliction he endured and the accompanying comfort that came his way. And I I bring up something I already mentioned already, that in this Bible book, you're going to find a number of places where the Apostle Paul gets very personal. Very rarely in any other Bible book that we have under his name do you find him becoming so personal and intimate as he talks with these people. We're going to see as we explore the book together that tension, that struggle that he had with the Corinthian Christians. But in that struggle of affliction, in that struggle between him and them, you find him bearing his soul. Here's a place in which, his, uh, in which that takes place. Look down in verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant or unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that uh, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even for life. And by the way, I'm working with the New American Standard version of the text in case yours may read just a little bit different. But uh, it's a good translation and I've used it. And so just uh, want to let you know that I'm using this translation tonight. In verse 9, indeed, notice this. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And then on in verse 10, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. The Apostle Paul bears his soul about some affliction that was going on in his life to the point that he, he, could, see, he could see himself at, the, at death's door. Now, we don't exactly know what this trouble was, this uh, ordeal that he mentions. He doesn't give any specifics. There are four or five possibilities from the book of Acts. And it could be something that he hadn't even touched on uh, that was not touched on in the book of Acts at all. But what we do know is that Paul was at death's door. He was so troubled by the experience. And the only thing he could do was hang on to his walk with God. And he said, we did. And that's what we're doing now. Notice this very important detail that comes in the next verse. 
Remember I told you that comfort is to be shared and not held to ourselves? That in the work of uh, knowing about people who are experiencing afflictions, we have sort of a holy obligation, a nudge to go to them and point them in the direction of God's comfort. Notice how that's expressed beginning in verse 11. You also, joining and helping us, and please underline this at least in your minds, you also in helping us through your prayers. There's a great deal of mystery about how intercession works. I'd love to study prayer, but there's more mystery than there is certainty when it comes to what happens when we pray here. How does it affect what happens over there? That's left in the wisdom and the power and the love of God. But we see from this Bible passage that the Apostle Paul tells these people, when I was at the bottom, you and your intercession for me kept lifting me up. So I ask you tonight, Do you think maybe for yourself and for yours truly that one of the greatest expressions of comfort that we can give is consistent intercession for people who are hurting? The comfort that we share is to be shared with people, uh, but it's also to be a part of the intercession for them in verse 11, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. We would do well to spend more time praying, no doubt about it. But we would do well to spend time praying as a way of extending God's comfort to people who are hurting. Like I said, I can't explain how prayer works. There is no magic formula. There's nothing that comes from Lifeway Resources, Lifeway Christian Resources, that gives us a one, two, three step uh, manual for how to pray in a fashion that's effective. We have people who have tried their method and they've shared that and all of that is good. But I do know this. That if we're nudged by God's spirit to bring comfort to others, the Apostle Paul teaches us that when we cannot reach them or even if we can, our prayer for them makes a great deal of difference. So in this first movement of this introduction, the Apostle Paul closes the gap between him and the Corinthian Christians by sharing this common comfort that all of them enjoyed in Christ that came to them because of the common affliction that they endured because of Christ. And it was reflected in his agony and difficulty when he was at death's door and his appreciation for them because they prayed for him. Comfort. That's a good way to start this Bible book, I think talking about comfort as a stewardship, as a responsibility for us to share with one another in Christ. But now we go from there to something that brings up a great deal of tension. Follow along in your Bible passage as the movement shifts. We start by talking about comfort, but then the the movement shifts uh, to a second move, if you will, in verse 2 where it says, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience... That in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. Verse 13. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and read and understand. And I hope you will understand until the end. Just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. In this confidence, he said, I intended it first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. And you could read the next few verses for yourself. 
Now we get into a situation in which the, Paul, the Apostle Paul brings up some conflict between him and the Corinthian Christians that has to do with a visit that he said he was going to make. I see it this way. The Apostle Paul either had written a painful letter to these people about something that they refused to do, that he, he told them that they needed to do, or maybe in one of his visits uh, that we don't have anything written about, maybe he visited the Corinthian church and he, shall I say, the, use the expression and you understand it, he took them to the woodshed. Now, for those of you who have gone to the woodshed, you know what I mean. Don't raise your hand because you give away a life of sin. But at any rate... The, <laughs> But the, the, uh, the fact of the matter is there was, a, uh, there was a correspondence between Paul and the church that was painful and it was tension-bearing and it probably uh, caused a conflict to develop between the two of them. They heard Paul when he left from that visit or when he closed out that letter. They heard him say, I am going to come visit you soon. But he never showed up. They hadn't heard from him, hadn't seen him, didn't know where he was. So then they began to say something like this. You know, when you read between the lines in that letter that Paul wrote, you get to see that he really wasn't ever going to come see us to start with. Now, what he says is, I love you with all my heart, but read between the lines. That's not what he's saying. Examine his letter, examine his words. And the Apostle Paul responds by saying, Now people, hold your breath because I need you to know that I'm a person whose conscience is pure when it comes to the, to the correspondence and the plans that I had in coming to visit you. Isn't it interesting how something as small as a visit can be escalated to a, uh, an ordeal that requires uh, the Apostle to write about it in a letter to these people? But it happens... It happens all the time. Here's the, here's the quintessential story that you've probably heard from preachers and teachers far better than yours truly, but I'll bring it back into focus because it does speak to this problem that uh, the Apostle Paul is bringing up with this pe these people. You have two brothers. One is named Fred. One is named Tom. That's the name I'm giving to them anyway. And Fred and Tom decide that they're going to open a business. So they in take their investments uh, take their money and invest it in the business, and they share everything right down, uh, right down the line, 50-50. Well, one day, uh, uh, Tom uh, puts a $10 bill on the counter, and he intends for Fred to put it in the cash register. He made a sale, and the fellow didn't have time to go to the cash register, so he just gave Tom a $10 bill, and Tom gave it to Fred to put in the cash register. Well, at the end of the day, they were $10 short. So uh, Tom said to Fred, now listen, brother, did you take that $10 that I put on the counter? And Fred said, what $10? I didn't take those $10. Well, don't worry about it. But, 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 but Tom did. He did worry about it. He went home that night and he thought about it. And he came back the next morning and before they opened the store for business, he said to his brother, now are you sure you didn't take that $10? His brother said, no, absolutely not. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you don't trust me? No, 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 it's not that. I just, I'm just wondering. But by the end of the day, by the end of the day, Tom's looking at his brother Fred and he's saying, you know what? I remember when we were kids growing up and you stole two biscuits off my uh, plate that I was going to have that morning. 
you are a thief. Yeah, it's, you, and I got to watch out. So, so they quarreled about it and quarreled about it. And pretty soon they uh, became so intensely aggravated with one another that they couldn't focus attention on the business and it failed and they had to close the doors. The next person moved into that building and uh, was going to move things around and the counter where the cash register was located uh, was there in an odd place so the new proprietor took the counter and moved it and moved the cash register out of the way. And you know what they found under the cash register? A $10 bill. That's how conflict starts. Paul, he intended, you could read the rest of it for yourself. Paul said, I intended to come to you. But then he goes on and says, maybe something like this. But I didn't really know if you guys wanted me to come see you. And besides that, I was going to see you, but, and here was my plan. I was going to go to point A and then see you and then go to point B and come back to see you and carry on my work because I was going to get an offering from you to take down to the Christians who were in Jerusalem who were hungry. I, I, I really, I, I, that's what I was going to do. And then he goes on from there and he says, you got to know. That when it comes to serving the Lord, it's not yes and no, it is yes. And God's yes is yes. And we say the amen to what God has given us to do. But in the midst of trying to speak to them about this trip to them that he never made, he brings up the whole subject of conflict and how it develops from such innocent uh, beginnings. And then from there escalates into something that embarrasses everyone by the time it's over. They say that conflict is a stated struggle between interdependent people who uh, find one party finds the other party to be standing in the way from a goal that he or she is trying to accomplish. And it happens all the time. And, and it's, it's not something that's necessarily uh, bad. We raised three boys at the Smith house. Well, actually, <laughs> Connie raised four. But, uh, but three boys at the Smith house. And regularly, we found the boys' feet being in conflict with their shoes. It, there's not a problem with uh, conflict because it is, a, it is a sign of growth. And as God's people grow together, there, there is conflict. I mean, you know, when the church got started and uh, they had thousands of people saved, you had a conflict uh, that was addressed by the, the, the deacons who stepped forth and resolved the conflict early on. The Apostle Paul knows about conflict because he's had conflict with other Christians. He's had conflict uh, with churches and he's resolved those conflicts early on. And he teaches us something that's valuable when it comes to conflict. Don't let it escalate. He tells husbands and wives, don't, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Resolve that conflict as soon as you can because the more you let it lie there, the more it becomes a monster and over the course of time, it escalates to the point that at first it's about the issue, the visit that Paul was going to make. And then without it being resolved, it, comes to, it, it becomes something else. It becomes something about Paul keeping his word and the Corinthian people feeling disappointed. And then it becomes something else. The Corinthians people, the Corinthian Christians are now against Paul. And so it's us against them. And then it escalates to the point that maybe somebody in the church is saying, you know what, I don't really even like Paul anymore. Let's just discard him and bring in somebody else. We do have this wonderful preacher whose name is Apollos, and he can preach the stars down. Why don't we just bring him in here? And, and you could see how it goes from there. So the Apostle Paul starts this book of 2 Corinthians by moving from comfort to conflict 
and he brings up the reality that there's a conflict between the two of them and he wants it to be resolved and so he tells the truth. Now, I want us to stop there for just a moment and ask ourselves if there are differences between us and other believers. And if, if those differences exist, let's follow Paul's example and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us so that we'll know how to do and what to do. Let's, let's work as diligently as we know how to resolve those conflicts at the point at which we're dealing with an issue. Because if we let the conflict escalate beyond that point, it gets into personalities. Personalities get into uh, struggles. Struggles get into wars. And families are torn apart. Uh, Christian friends are torn apart. And it's unfortunate. So the Apostle Paul brings up a conflict. And he's going to be dealing with this conflict throughout this Bible book. He's going to come back to the source of this conflict with regard to his visit. And then he's going to bring up another area of conflict which had to do with an offering that he was going to take to the Christians in Jerusalem. There are other sources of conflict, but he brings it up early on. He deals with it first off. And, and in this movement that we have before us, we have wise counsel so that we can follow that example and ask the Lord to give us guidance so that we'll be sensitive to conflicts that may be developing between people who depend on us and on whom we depend uh, for uh, lots of uh, spiritual and other reasons and have those conflicts to be resolved. Now let's go on to the third movement which shows something about how the conflict had escalated but also also about uh, something that the Apostle Paul banked on for believers in Corinth as well as, as in his own life. I take you to verse 17. Therefore he said, I was not vacillating when I intended to, to do this, was I? Or, or what, uh, what I, uh, or excuse me, or what I uh, purpose do I uh, uh, purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes and yes and no and no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. And then going on into verse 20, for as many as were promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. The point the Apostle Paul is making now has to do with credibility. You people at Corinth seem to think that my word's not any good anymore. You seem to think that maybe I'm uh, vacillating. I'm sort of uh, sizing up the political situation. And it's yes today, but it's no tomorrow. Am I coming to visit you? I said yes. But you're thinking, well, maybe he changed his mind and now it's no. And now, now maybe it's yes. Now maybe it's no. And the apostle moves on and says, listen, in Christ Jesus, we don't live that way. A pagan world is filled with people who say yes today and no tomorrow if it benefits them in their personal kingdom agenda. But believers aren't that way. We, we know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he told us that uh, there's no use in a kingdom citizen swearing by the temple or swearing by the mountain or swearing by heaven to try to validate the reality that what we're saying is true. Jesus said kingdom citizens are the kind of people who say yes. And if they say yes, it means yes. And if they say no, it simply means no. And we don't have to have 
this, uh, this complicated system whereby we try to validate the truth of our statements. And where did that come from? It came from the heart of God Himself, who in His Word for God's people then and God's people now makes sure to have us to know that if He says yes in His Word, it's yes today. If He says no in His Word, it's no today. Nothing has changed. This God who is the same today and yesterday and forever is the God who lives in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as we focus attention on Jesus Christ and our credibility as Christians is at stake when we decide to use a pagan approach to answer questions or to keep commitments or to have, a, have a decisions made. We don't live like that. And the Apostle Paul said for Christians, it's not a matter of deciding of whether or not it ought to be a yes today and maybe a no tomorrow, but it's a matter of deciding what God is up to, declaring amen, which says so be it and getting on with the work that he's given us to do and then from there he goes on to something that he really banks on for all of us as believers as we serve the Lord together beginning in verse uh, 21 now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge while there may be a difference of opinion between Paul and some of the Corinthian Christians, Paul brings up to a fact that for them and for us can never be, ever be uh, underestimated or overlooked. It's the reality that this work that Christ is doing in us is something that's being established to the point that people are seeing that the Savior who came to save us from our sin is actually making good on his promise to make us into the people that the Lord wants us to become. The word established comes from the idea of a person who's selling you something and convincing you that you're getting what you paid for. And so when a believer uh, lives out, the, uh, in, out his, his life or her life in Christ Jesus, other Christians see that the price that Jesus paid to save that person from his or her sin is a price worth paying because look at the difference that's being made in that person's life, in his decisions, in her countenance, in their behavior, in their interaction, in their choice of friends. Jesus Christ is being established in them. And the Apostle Paul said that, that Jesus who worked in you to establish you, don't forget he anointed us. In other words, he filled us, he called us, he set us apart, he made us his own. And then he said, he sealed us. In those days, a person, a uh, king, a uh, other uh, government official would write out a royal decree, roll it up on the scroll, and then take the hot wax and seal that uh, document and put his signet ring uh, imprint on it. And that imprimatur was a seal that said, what's in this scroll belongs to the king. What's in this scroll belongs to the person who has the authority to use the signet ring of the person who is in charge. And so the Apostle Paul said, we may have differences. We may have lots of uh, situations in which we don't exactly know what to do in our relationships with one another. But we need to keep in mind this one reality. All of us have been bought with a price. 
All of us have been given this uh, anointing so that we are set on a certain path to follow the Lord's leadership. And all of us have the brand mark of the Lord Christ on us. We belong to Him. No matter what our differences may be, what we have in common is the reality that we are His. We belong to Him. We are claimed by Him. And then he goes on from there to say, all of us, even though we may have differences of opinion, here is one reality that we do not want to forget. All of us have been have been filled with the same Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit whispers in our ear and gives us encouragement that what the Lord's doing for us now is preparing us for eternal life in glory and we're going to let Him do what He wants to do so that we can be the kind of people He wants us to be. And as that same Holy Spirit works in you and you and you and you and you and you even though we may be different and have different opinions that same Holy Spirit is going to bind us together in the bond of peace that comes in our common relationship with Jesus Christ so Paul shows us how to handle situations that can be filled with tension affirm the comfort that he gives to all of us the kind of comfort that's expressed in reaching out to others and comforting them in Christ, the kind of comfort that's expressed in heartfelt intercession. When we find ourselves in situations in which tension seems to be characterizing our relationship, resolve it quickly. The conflict is a part of our relationships with one another, but lay the cards on the table. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, your anger. Deal with the issues by telling the truth to one another. And when it comes to credibility, oh, we all make mistakes. We all have flaws. But one reality cannot be overlooked. We have all been set free by Christ. We have all grown from infancy, growing toward maturity together. All of us are owned by the same master And all of us have him living within us so that we will begin to taste a little every day of the promise that he's giving us regarding eternal life in heaven with him. So as we move from comfort to conflict to credibility in our relationships with others, join me in thanking the Lord that we serve a Savior who makes it possible for even in those moments filled with tension, for us to find common ground at the foot of the cross. Pray with me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father, I do thank you for the attentiveness of these people as they've explored this Bible passage that's filled with details that we cannot disclose because we don't know what they are. But yet in what you've given us, you have shown us plenty about how you expect us to nourish a relationship with one another. Now tonight, I pray that in this invitation time, you'll guide us so that we will surrender to you and allow you to use us to comfort one another. Allow you to bring conflicts to a resolution in in places in which our hearts are broken over relationships that are strained. That we'll allow you to be the one who holds us up and gives us the kind of credibility that comes as brothers and sisters in Christ serving together. Help us to come to you tonight. As we said before, we pray again. Lord Jesus, draw us close to you. 
draw us close. Whether that's a public response in the invitation time or whether it's an intimate response as we stand to sing, that'll be for you to receive glory, kind master. We simply ask that you help us to listen and to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our song together. You come as God prompts you to make a decision. Your pastor is here to work with you and pray with you. You come.